Hello, and welcome to You Should See the Other Guy, the podcast where we watch a romantic comedy featuring a buffet of love interests and tell you why the protagonist or character who does the choosing picked the wrong one. And sometimes, like today, we watch Napoleon Dynamite. I'm Jennifer. I'm Samantha. And I'm Sadie. And today, as Jen mentioned, we are talking about Napoleon Dynamite, 2004 American comedy film. Wikipedia always. This feels (laughs) so formal. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to our roundtable discussion. Very serious. Uh, Napoleon Dynam, I volunteered to summarize this one uh, because um, we typically don't decide on the summary until very late in the game. And I figured this would be an easy one because Napoleon Dynamite has no plot, really. It's It's nothing but plot. Uh, Napoleon Dynamite is a 16-year-old in Preston, Idaho. He lives with his grandmother who looks gay, but apparently isn't, or is she? Maybe Napoleon is being protected from this knowledge. And he lives with his older brother, Kip, 32, who spends a lot of time on dial-up internet talking to who he claims is his girlfriend. Anyway, sorry, Sadie, did you have something to add? What? (laughs) (laughs) I thought I heard someone ready to jump in. Samantha can just like preemptively feel the indignant energy. I've never felt more called out. I was just enjoying the dulcet (laughs) tones of your voice. (laughs) So so, uh, Napoleon is weird and we spend like the first 35 minutes of it just establishing that he's weird. He draws ligers. He has awkward body language. He doesn't look at people. People shove him into lockers. He puts tater tots in his pocket. All sorts of quirky little nerdy affectations to establish this is a weird child. Anyway, we get our first uh, sort of semblance of plot machinations when the grandma breaks her butt while ATVing on some sand dunes, causing Uncle Rico to enter the picture. Rico is a, a salesman who lives in a camper van, and he enlists Kip into various, like, get-rich-quick, like, uh, MLM Tupperware sorts of schemes that will be very familiar to anyone who's... <laughs> He's also such a quintessential asshole uncle. <laughs> yes. And their business is very, uh, very Mormon corridor. Um, Idaho, Utah, Arizona, etc. Of Let's go sell Tupperware in a way that, you know, it wouldn't be possible anywhere else. Um, Kip says, oh, my girlfriend is definitely real. Her name is LaFonda. She lives in Detroit. And you, the viewer, are intended to be like, yeah, sure. I bet you have a girlfriend on the internet. And Rico is trying to like raise money to buy a time machine to go back in time to when he was playing high school football. But instead, he just hits on high school students instead, which we can talk about that a little later on. Uh, <laughs> our Enter our, our little sort of semblance of a love triangle. Uh, there's Deb. She's like selling lanyards and cosmetics door to door. 
and uh, she's a friend uh, of Napoleon's at high school, and Pedro, a transfer student from Juarez, um, he who he befriends, and they become misfit outsiders together. Uh, I guess theoretically, the movie is about who's going to the dance in the second act, and uh, and who's going to win the high school presidential election. Well, they sort of introduce the 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 presidential plot line like um, really late in the game. Sort of after they do the dance, the movie is like, oh shoot, I guess we need <laughs> to like have something else for them to do for the last twenty five minutes. So to recap the dance stuff, Pedro wants to ask Summer Wheatley, who looks a lot like Hillary Duff. She is um, Hillary Duff's older sister is the oh, actor dang. who plays that role. Really? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I was Duff. like, why does she look so much like Hilary Duff? But is not know. Hilary Duff. Okay, so Pedro wants to ask Summer Wheatley. He makes her a cake. She very cruelly rejects him. And then he's like, oh, I'll ask Deb. And, you know, that Napoleon's a little miffed at that in ways he doesn't show because he kind of likes Deb. Uh, so he asks Trisha instead by drawing her a very interpretive, abstract portrait of herself. Um, Rico makes Trisha's mom go to the dance. No, Rico <laughs> makes Trisha's mom in turn force Trisha to go to the dance with Napoleon because you know, to be nice to him. It's a pity date. Um, They go to the dance and Pedro is just like, oh, I'm just friends with Deb. You can dance with her if you want to. Um, I have no character motivation. Uh, Until he sees a sign for class president um, election while drinking from the water fountain after the dance. And Pedro's crush on Deb begin Pedro's presidential aspirations. And so they want, Pedro wants to run for president. Zuma, shut up. Uh, (laughs) Pedro wants to run for president. Summer is also running for president. Stuff happens. I don't know. The girlfriend turns out to be real. LaFonda comes from Detroit and problematically gives Kip uh, like a inner city uh, makeover kind of stuff. LaFonda gives, oh, this is crucial to the plot, quote unquote plot. LaFonda gives Napoleon a mixtape that her cousin worked on that we are meant to believe has some kind of dance music on it. Napoleon gets mad at Rico because Rico is being a major creep around the high school and like make reducing, worsening Napoleon's already bad reputation with his questionable money making schemes. In this case, it is an herbal breast enhancement supplement. Of course it is. Uh, that he tries to sell to high school seniors <laughs> or juniors at 16. Uh, okay, so Rico gets beaten up because he tries to uh, uh, he crosses a line with the bodybuilding wife of a local taekwondo uh, dojo leader. It was like Rex Kwando. Uh, it was pretty uh, yeah. <laughs> 
an invented martial art by a white man in American flag pattern pants. You wouldn't want to take a roundhouse kick from one of those bad boys or something. I'm trying to remember the... And while, like, the wife while, looked like she could lift. While Napoleon Dynamite was happening, the plot of the show Cobra Kai was also happening simultaneously in the same town. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, class president election happens. How much time has elapsed over the course of this movie? Who knows? We don't care. The movie doesn't care either. Um, election day happens. Summer gives a speech and then gives a very sparkle motion. Donnie Darko dance number. Real obsession in the Audis with this kind of like choreographed um, like dancing in high school auditoriums between sparkle motion, mean girls, and Napoleon Dynamite. Pedro gives a speech where he promises that all the student body's dreams will come true, but then doesn't have a skit. But then Napoleon saves the day by spontaneously doing this like quite good dance routine um, to the mixtape that LaFonda gave him. To Jamiroquai's Canned Heat is the song specifically. So canonically, is Jamiroquai supposed to be LaFonda's cousin? Apparently so. <laughs> I wonder if they reached out to Jamiroquai to ask, okay, can we you write? Know, I've got to jump in here for a second. I have more to say about my adventures trying to figure out the time period in which this movie took place. But I did not realize until today, because Jamiroquai can't heat, that's the center stage song, right? Obviously. Where, you know, she does the, she's doing the Sinead turns across the stage and like uh, Cooper, what's his face, grabs her skirt and then she's wearing the little red leotard and skirt and they're all like dancing at the end of center stage. But for some reason, I thought that that song came out in like the late 80s or early 90s and was just used in that movie. And today I learned that Jamiroquai's Canned Heat was apparently created for the movie Center Stage and came out in 1999. Oh, wow. Okay, and then five like, years later became the wow. anthem of another film. Yes. <laughs> anyway, I hope that LaFonda's cousin Jamiroquai is making good money off of those royalties. So Napoleon's dance gets a standing ovation. It's enough to make Pedro class president. Uh, LaFonda gets on the bus back to Detroit and we for a brief moment question whether Kip is going along and then Kip too steps on the bus uh, Rico re gets back together with was that someone he met doing his sales or is that intended to be an ex-flame I was trying to figure that out um, I it was I think that it was one of the women that either he or Kip visited in their like Tupperware adventure but I I wasn't 100% sure. So, yeah. But anyway, a good ending for Rico, who doesn't deserve one. And then Napoleon and Deb play tetherball together. And then did you watch the post-credits scene, either of you? I did not. No. Okay, so at the very end, this is not a Marvel style, we do five seconds of credits and then show you Samuel L. Jackson being like, there's another movie coming. The Our $5 billion machine rolls on. Um, you have to wait through all of the credits. And then at the very end, Kip and LaFonda get married outdoors in Idaho. Oh, I think I remember seeing that back in like 2005 or whenever I watched this movie, but I had completely forgotten. 
Okay. Napoleon is not there. They're like, where's Napoleon? And he's like, gosh, I I tamed a wild honeymoon stallion for you. Gosh. And he rides in on his wild honeymoon stallion. And then Kip and LaFonda ride away and everybody's happy. And that is Napoleon Dynamite. So- I am the one that did this to us all. I'm the, I'm the one. <laughs> I because here's the thing. I first saw a viral tweet that was going around last week of um, Deb, where she's trying to sell her little um, handcrafted keychains, and the tweet said that she deserved better. And they are one thousand percent right. I won't. I won't go into it quite yet because that gets into the other guy scenario. But um, what did you guys? What did you think about the movie? For reference, I have only seen it once a really, really long time ago, and then I just recently rewatched it at the um, behest of of my roommate Elliot. Um, this is more probably the peak of Mormon cinema. Um. The star and director and writer are all LDS, uh, as I've mentioned on the podcast before. I that am a former is. Mormon, uh, and it's the most Mormon movie that's ever been made. Yes. Another that's thing crazy. that I did not learn until today is that this movie is Mormon as fuck. I didn't and- know it until like 20 <laughs> minutes ago. So same, Sadie, like, uh, you know, mind blowing emoji like going on right here. So and apparently, Samantha, is this correct? So Preston, Idaho, where this is set and was apparently filmed is a very heavily Mormon populated location. Yeah, I mean, the Mormon church is, I think, the has a plurality in basically every county in Idaho, Utah, and like some parts of Arizona. So um, like the location alone is a clue. And like, even though it's never overtly mentioned, like most you're, I think, meant to assume, or I don't, I don't know if the directors want you to assume because I think they wanted it to have broad based mainstream appeal that virtually everyone is Mormon or what, what you would call a Jack Mormon, someone who's sort of like culturally involved with the church, even if they're not following the letter of the law. Um, and so you'd you'd find a lot of that in like more rural parts of Idaho. So like Haley Duff's character Summer in this is like would be an example of like the cool Mormon girl in this town. Yeah, and notice how modest their uh, their dance outfits are. You know. Yeah. And the dance itself, too. It was more spirit fingers and less like not too much shoulder or hip movement. Yes, quite <laughs> far from the mean girls, <laughs> um, Santa Claus dancer, whatever. Which is why Napoleon won everybody over because he really committed to those pelvic motions in his dance. Yeah, his dance was very sensual. <laughs> I, I did not get... I, I'm in shock. I'm in shock. Because I feel like this movie is so, it feels so like fringe kind of queer aesthetic. The side ponytail, that is the gayest thing I've ever seen in my life that Deb, that Deb sports. (laughs) I, that's wild. I mean, Sadie, I sort of like agree that the aesthetic could read that way, but I feel like the characters, like I, I was looking for Wulawa and Mulama ships, and it, I just like can't see any of them. They all feel like uh, 
I always mix up the polarities of the Kinsey scale, but they all feel very um, Kinsey straight. (laughs) This is incredibly sobering. I mean, what 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 this is, and then I'll get off my you know insider soapbox. Is no, I, please I, never I do. That in the Audis, there is this like brief window in which like Mormon culture and mass culture can intersect. You know, there's something about the conservatism of the era, and and there. Th- Audis was also you think like Wes Anderson era like there was this moment where it was like oh a movie can be cool if it just has like a quirky aesthetic and like has some fun interesting memorable characters and lines and I feel like you know Jared Hess with Napoleon Dynamite just took full advantage of that moment to deliver something that got this broad based appeal whereas you know if Napoleon Dynamite came out today you would be like where's the gay character or like why you know why is the depiction <laughs> of like La Fonda and Pedro's cousins so like racially uh, problematic and you know all of that kind of stuff I, I guess it just had a window where things converged you know George W. Bush was president American yeah. culture was pretty like conservative and like a little bit of quirk went a long way towards being cool this was like the height of the time like so I I graduated high school in 2003 and in my last two years of high school was like driven mad I still don't like the word random very much to this day because it was such a thing for like literally everybody who was a human being of that age who had like a feeling or a thought about anything ever to say I'm so random about like literally anything all the time and this sort of the humor in this movie is that it was kind of like a bomb to the it's not as mean-spirited as South Park you know but it's very oh he said something weird and out of nowhere that's so random and you know that apparently was like the height of culture in 2004. Yeah, I feel like maybe some parts of it that just kind of like happened to exist because all of the creators were Mormon kind of really worked in its favor because it's like, well, for one, all of them do dress really modestly and kind of like almost from the 90s, like especially Deb, which kind of lends itself to the very like quirky fringe type of vibe that the movie creates. Um, That I think that that's part of the reason why it has such a cult following now is because it was so like specific, has such a specific aesthetic. Um, Damn, I don't even, I'm, I'm in shock. I'm in shock. It all, it's, it's clicking into place, but it is shocking. I did find out when I watched the movie with Elliot that John Hedder, Hader was Mormon. And that was shocking to me because I am a fan of Blades of Glory. And that movie felt sacrilegious to its very core. (laughs) (laughs) Samantha, who else? Okay. So like, Brandon Flowers and the Killers, they're all Mormon. Don't remind um, who, What other celebrities are Mormon? <laughs> you uh, have to warn us about these things. Aaron Eckhart, uh, formerly. Whoa, I didn't realize Aaron Eckhart was Mormon. Catherine okay. Heigl, but I think we discussed that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there are a few others. 
But yeah, I mean, if you'll notice with like John Hader, Jared Hester, other people involved with this film, they went on to do maybe like one or two more things, but like have since not, you know, there's like a ceiling to how much you can work if you want to avoid like certain subject matters or certain kind of material, you know? Damn, John Hader did it. I mean, in Blades of Glory, he kind of went there, right? I mean, mm. <laughs> depends on your definition of went there, I guess, but it was a step away from Napoleon Dynamite. Yeah, yeah. Well, and that's the sort of thing where you risk backlash from your like Utah, Idaho, Arizona fans if they love you for Napoleon Dynamite. And you, you know, they're complicated internal dynamics that I'm sure they were working <laughs> out because, you know, you become like the Mormon celebrity if you're uh, what's the Napoleon's name? I met Jared. No, Jared has the director. Hatter. Uh, John. Yeah. J- He's a J O N John. Yeah. But yeah. Wait, so um, in 2020, John Hatter did star in Tremors 7, Shrieker Island in 2020. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness. Oh, Amy Adams was also raised Mormon. Damn. You know, Eliza Dushku. Ryan- what? Ryan okay, Gosling, uh, Paul Walker. Oh, and Gladys Knight. Uh, Gladys Knight is still active, I believe. Damn, damn, damn. I well, speaking of Amy Adams, really quick, did either of you see uh, the woman in the window? I started watching it, and I've read the the book and know all about the whole drama of the writer of the book and all that. I have not, but hearing about drama of the writer of the book kind of intrigues me. So please, oh, you're explain. gonna read like a seven thousand word article after this? I'm sure <laughs> something <laughs> oh, about like the, I didn't know anything the about the writer misrepresenting himself or something, claiming to have like a rare form of cancer that wasn't real oh, and then Lord. like whole, whole whole thing i mean the book itself reads kind of like a like what if someone reverse engineered one of these like girl on the train or gone girl type books you know it it feels very like callously done where it's like some like an alien observed all these books and then like for centuries and then like perfectly created one but I, Sadie, did you enjoy the, I almost called you Shrek because I made your display name Shrek. Oh my God, I just noticed that. <laughs> Jennifer, Jen Culp, Samantha Allen, and Shrek Collins present to you. Why don't you fuck up your own name guy. every once in a while? <laughs> I am the host. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Shrek, are you enjoying Woman in the Window, starring Amy Amy Adams? I watched it last night, and I was really excited for it. And you know me, I like it. Doesn't take a lot to please me, but I have very specific and valid criteria that a movie must fulfill. And I really. I didn't like it. Um, And number one is a rear window. Because, I mean, this is like a rear window knockoff kind of movie. Um, It has to be fun, which it wasn't. Like I didn't ha- like I didn't have fun. I watched I watched I watched it with um my roommate Elliot as well. And it was like it was both trying so hard to win an Oscar and also so unbelievably campy that it made me like laugh out loud, but like I still wasn't having a lot of fun with it. 
And the twist, I mean, I won't spoil it for anyone, but the twist was like both, it was a twist, but I like, I thought it, I thought it at first, like, oh, this might be what happens. And then I thought, no, that would be too predictable. And then that's what ended up happening. So anyway, Mm. that's my one minute review of the woman in the window. But um, I'm just completely going off of, off away from Napoleon Dynamite for a second. But I recently watched a movie with Chloe Grace Moretz called Shadow in the Cloud. Have either of you seen that movie? Nay, I have not. Oh, y'all. <laughs> um, you have to watch it. You have to watch it. It, it is set during World War II and Chloe Grace Moretz is a female pilot. It's like a, a, a horror drama comedy. Um, she's a female pilot and um, as it becomes apparent, there are, it, it becomes apparent in like the first minute of the movie, but there are, you know what? I'm actually not going to spoil it. <laughs> Just know there were multiple points where I screamed into a pillow from laughing so hard. And also was enjoying my, I said, I'm I'm from the Midwest. I say, (laughs) pillow. don't shame me. The Missouri comes out. I also say, no, shaming you. What about it? (laughs) No. We only speak in mid-Atlantic broadcaster voices on this podcast, Sadie. (laughs) With the program. Or or are you gonna make like Shrek and talk with a Scottish accent that forces uh underpaid animators to redo their all their work (laughs) to satisfy the whims of a not even Scottish actor. And I respect their sacrifice. We'll get to that when we discuss Shrek and Shrek 2. <laughs> Coming up um, on an, a future episode of this podcast. Sadie, uh, would Shadow in the Clouds be a potential candidate for discussion on the podcast? Or is it just something we can watch so we can blow up each other's group chat? I'll have to marinate. It's it's definitely a reach. <laughs> I'll say that. <laughs> um, but oh my god, highly recommend. You have to. It is one of the campiest movies I've seen in quite a while. Um, uh, but anyway, back to Napoleon Dynamite. Damn it. Damn. It feels like it makes me uncomfortable in the same way that bad Santa makes me uncomfortable. And I can't describe, (laughs) I can't describe how either of them make me feel, but I know it in my soul. Well, first of all, it makes me never want to move to Southern Idaho ever in a million years. There were parts where I had to like look away. It was so depressing to look at. <laughs> no shade. Yeah, I I had to just mentally travel to another place and not look at the screen for a bit when he did that stint of working at like the chicken factory farm and then they got fed like raw eggs mixed up in a mason jar with bread as they're like uh, (sighs) like, i didn't i didn't that belongs in a saw movie that's yeah i I need a tree (laughs) (laughs) that's the problem with all these characters it covered up the the older man in the field across the road murdering the cow was also a little bit like, wow, that with 2021 eyes, that is super dark. And in 2004, that was just sort of like, ha, 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 ha. 
all these oh, kids well. just got traumatized by seeing a cow get shot in the head. Isn't that funny? <laughs> like, and it, yeah, that's what rural life will do to you. Yeah. I mean, so the first, when I experienced this movie in the Oddies, I think I was charmed by the randomness because I was also in a phase of my life where I was like, that's comedy. <laughs> comedy is saying weird stuff. <laughs> comedy is non sequiturs. Um, and watching it now as a 34-year-old uh, lying down on a couch after a long day of work and meetings. It was a totally joyless experience. <laughs> I, I just like, I felt like I was watching like a Civil War documentary or something. It just like. <laughs> <laughs> Samantha just stone faced watching the whole movie. <laughs> See, I'm trying to think of any. I think the only thing that made me smile was the dance choreography um, at the very end. You know, otherwise, I you can just sort of like, with the benefit of hindsight, kind of see through that kind of screenwriting that was so common at the time, where people were just like, wouldn't it be funny if he said like, uh, uh, hey, Napoleon, give me your tots or something. I don't know, like, whatever weird lines people remember from this movie. Uh, I think it mostly just evolved into the way John Hedder says, gosh, um, at a certain point is like, the only thing that remains in people's yeah. memories. Well, I think at the time it it was a feel good property in a way because you when so much comedy around then was like what I in my mind I think of it as the South Park era. Um so many things were very mean spirited and this movie definitely has things that do not hold up. Um it uses the R slur, there is some obvious and nasty fat phobia, there's the you know the racist depictions of LaFonda and Pedro's cousins, you know, that it's kind of that benign like, oh, but nobody's mean to them or treats them weird, but it's like they make them be a caricature, you know, who stands out starkly in contrast to everyone else in this apparently Mormon town. Um, but when it was released, it felt very harmless in, in comparison to so many other examples of comedy at the time. So it was like, you could laugh at Napoleon Dynamite's character, but you were also kind of laughing along with him because he got bullied a little bit, but he had his triumphs, you know, you, there, like, it, it was just kind of easy. It, it went down easily at the time in the W. Bush era. <laughs> And it's so bizarre now. I was trying to, and, and all of this wraps up, right? Because I start partway through the movie trying to calculate what in the hell time period this is taking place in. Because Uncle Rico says that like his wife, Aunt Tammy or whatever. And I couldn't figure out. So it was like Rico, like their uncle by blood or was the aunt? Tammy like the one but then they were split up but then he was like I, I, I really couldn't figure it out but anyway Tammy didn't want to be with Rico because she said he was stuck in 82 when apparently he was a successful high school football player and then I was really confused because I was like well I mean honestly Uncle Rico could be any age from like 25 to 45 in this movie and I would not be surprised by any of it. It was kind of impossible to tell. The styling is very uh, like I think that they did a great job with the styling in this movie that it had a very uh, you know its own signature and it obviously kind of set off a, you know but it was this very it's all this thrift store late 80s early 90s stuff and then so you're trying to figure out 
you know, in this wood paneled home they live in, is this taking place in the eighties? Is this taking place in the early nineties? When they go to the dance, the two songs that they played at the dance came out in 1983 and 1984. But then at the little presidential election debate slash skit scene, both of the songs that were danced to in that part came out in 1999. And then at the very end of the movie, I remembered that at the beginning of the movie, it showed Napoleon Dynamite's student ID and it said that it was for the class of, of 2004, 2005. Yeah, it's, it's present day. So... <laughs> Like it, so is that supposed to accurately depict how Preston Idaho is? It's this weird out of time. I think that was part of the success of the movie place. was that it was like presenting this almost anthropological yeah. view of like, oh, look, in southern Idaho, it still feels like 1989, kind of, or you know, it kind of in in some ways it feels like a precursor to Pin Fifteen to me, which. I think is an incredibly superior effort in almost all ways. That's the Hulu show about like middle school awkwardness, right? Where two adult comedians are playing like weird. It's like two actors who are like our age, Samantha, like playing their middle school selves like amongst middle school aged other actors but they do such a creepily good job at nailing all of the mannerisms and weird quirks of yeah (laughs) i can only watch like a couple episodes of it at a time though because it really puts me back in a seventh grade place that like you can't stay there oh you're reminding me of trying to watch the movie eighth grade (laughs) and i i started it and i was like nope (laughs) Eighth eighth grade was like some parts of it I couldn't relate to because like I didn't really have like Instagram and stuff when I was in eighth grade, but it was so, oh, the pool scene. Oh, there's a knife sticking, sticking in my heart. But like penis, pen 15, whatever you want to call it. Um, I can only do like an episode because I just like, ah, it's like painful. And it's, you're right. Like they're so good at being like middle schoolers, high schools, schoolers, whatever, that I almost forget sometimes that they are adult women playing these characters. But then I see them like (laughs) as soon as they are with other people, like as soon as they're with actual middle schoolers, it's like so jarring because they look so old. (laughs) (laughs) They're so much older, but they do the body language and the mannerisms of being in middle school in like the late 1990s so terrifyingly well that it's like, how do you even, I purposefully tried to obliterate that period from my mind. Like the the deep dive they must have done to come up with all that. Oh, and yes, AD, the, the time is because like, that's, that's a thing that people did back then was being like, Hey, you want to join the pin 15 club and make it sound like it was cool. And then if you get somebody to say, yeah, then they're like, Oh, okay, cool. And then they'd write, you know, penis on your arm with a ballpoint pen. Cause like pin 15 looks like penis when you write it out. And then after school, we would all go roll hoops uh, <laughs> down the street. Um, <laughs> It was like an ancient variant of like these nuts, you know. We'd all ride our unicycles down to the pharmacy and have a have a <laughs> fountain soda. <laughs> <laughs> uh, God, the awkwardness though. But yeah, like the Napoleon Dynamite. Gosh, this was also was that when like the Tim and Eric show was really popping off where just like the incredibly painfully 
hard to watch awkward sketches were like the thing when Napoleon Dynamite came out. Yeah, I mean, I feel like the birth of like non sequitur as comedy was like the oddies. And it's like still sort of with us. But I think we've gone back to like things need to have some kind of uh, logic or escalation or something. It can't just be random, mostly because we got all oversaturated and nothing can shock us anymore. Yeah, I guess that's why pin 15 stands out to me is because these, you know, middle aged Samantha and me aged actors doing that they definitely bring the awkward, but they also like bring the emotion to put you in that feeling of that moment. And that's why it's unbearable to watch more than one episode at a time. God, I I remember when I was in, so let's see, before, let me do some quick math. So I was like eight or nine when Napoleon Dynamite came out. And I, I watched it like when it came out. And it was like, wow, this is the coolest movie ever made. Like this, this is just like, <laughs> the, like, I was like, Deb is the coolest person I've ever seen. And then I also rocked that fucked up looking side pony until I was like 11. Oh. Oh. (laughs) But you're right. Like, this is just such an early Audis movie. Um, which brings me to my next point. Should we talk about other guy situations? Because I have mine locked in. Sure, life. let's do it. Well, I am so glad that I've gathered you all here. Um, Deb should have 100% ended up with Pedro. And she absolutely did end up with Pedro in the long run. I hold it to be entirely true. There's no other option that makes sense in my brain. Yeah, I am. Um, I agree. Pedro yeah. has actual um, aspirations in in life and uh, uh, you know he wants to be school president that's deeply attractive uh, Napoleon you know is not quite there yet <laughs> first of all that was the most Capricorn <laughs> thing you've ever said Samantha <laughs> He wants to be class president. That's deeply attractive. I hear it like judging 16 year 16 year olds and I'm like, come on, Napoleon. Yeah. Where's your ambition? <laughs> I was going to say, Pedro can take his bike over some sweet jumps, whereas Napoleon struggles with that. And he's like always the support system for Napoleon. Like, I understand that they're all in high school. And so, I mean, if you're allowed to at any point in your life be immature and annoying, it's high school. But Napoleon was just really rude to Deb multiple times throughout the movie. And it's kind of like, well, first of all, I feel like we have given boys and young men a pass at being rude to women for far too long. We've it's it's time to change. And Pedro was always nice to Deb. He politely asked her to the dance. And he like they just vibed. I'm mad about it. I really felt like the, you know, she was Deb was never mean to Pedro, obviously, or anything. But he was was so much more attractive in every way than Napoleon, unless 
you're going to chalk it up to like familiarity with Napoleon slash Loki racism against Pedro. Yeah, I mean, they also like, I don't know, I I wanted Deb's character to have more. She does feel like a very like the Adi's fantasy of like, she's just sweet. I don't know. So absolutely not an option for Deb at, you know, this point, because she's like canonically like 16. And, um, you know, I'm not but I just want to make the point right now that really the only character who deserves to have a movie made about them out of this entire cast is Napoleon. And Kip's grandmother. And I want to know more about what the fuck is going on with her when she's not making the She's a bicon in her in her four-wheeler on the on the sand dunes. Is yeah. it a llama or an alpaca that they have? Tina? It's a llama. Yeah. It's, it's a pretty llama. tall. It's gotta you be a llama. Fools. Right? Alpacas the are llamas are the ones that spit <laughs> and they look a little fucked up and they're tall and they have like kind of smushed faces and then alpacas are small and alpacas they don't spit, spit too. and they won't kill you. Just like a but little yeah. probably little in a cute fact. fashion <laughs> and not aggressive. But llamas like, like llama. take your eye out, spit <laughs> and they would beat the shit out of you <laughs> if they could. <laughs> Napoleon and Kip's grandmother definitely would own a llama as opposed to yeah. an alpaca. And that's what makes her straight. <laughs> straight people like llamas, queer people like alpacas. This will it's be true. the basis of my it's stand-up canon. comedy routine. <laughs> Missouri, ha- time for a trip through Missouri with Sadie. It's a trip through Missouri. Yay. It's that segment of the podcast. Um, Alpaca farms are a plenty in Missouri. There's like tons of them. Um, we have like four or five just Samantha. in my city. More reasons for oh, us there. to visit. <laughs> Our I, listening audience knows that. that the alpaca is Samantha's favorite animal. Yeah, right? I and in um and in Mormon tradition, Missouri is the location of the Garden of Eden. So all the more reason for us to go. What? <laughs> yeah yeah well i see oh my them God. giving is tours it in that museum sadie told us here. about recently i think it <laughs> i don't go to the we'll talk about this later samantha the scary museum there are we'll go to heaven we'll visit some alpacas there are a lot of mormon tours here in columbia and i think that there's something significant about my city specifically um hmm. Hmm. anyway sadie what's your favorite animal I love alpacas. I they're definitely in my top five animal, but I am obsessed with um, red river hogs, and I also love squirrels and I love squirrels too. Goats. I love a good goats squirrel good and raccoons and possums. I love possums. I've wanted to hold yes. a possum for years. So far, have not found any <gasps> to hold. Wait, but. Sadie. As soon as this podcast, as soon as we wrap up recording. I have to internet introduce you to my friend Mads. They have baby possums in their attic right now and are having to feed them and care for them because the possum rescue in town is full. Oh my God. And it's a whole thing. They're making all these adorable TikToks of the baby possums. Anyway, you guys would get along. I hate the fact that we live in a world where the phrase possum TikTok means something. Or do I love it? I can't decide. Oh, I'm on possum TikTok. I um I recently got into pigeon TikTok 
And um, if it weren't against apartment regulations for me to build a pigeon coop on my balcony, I would have already built it by now oh. because I have become so hyper fixated. Did tell it? you you weren't allowed? <laughs> oh yeah, I mentioned that last After week. Our last episode. I last week. <laughs> yes, they. D- yeah, it, it wasn't allowed by either my roommates Damn. or the actual apartment that we live in. <laughs> Sadie would be like that lady in Home Alone or whatever who has all the pigeons with her, you know? (gasps) My dream. (laughs) Just an army of pigeons surrounding Sadie. (laughs) Oh, well, um, this is unrelated, but quickly going back to Napoleon Dynamite, the the topic of this podcast. Um, Did it ever say why Pedro moved to this, like, possibly the worst town in, in America? I don't, I don't know. His character gets almost nothing. I know. It's kind of annoying. I don't think they did. And how were like his cousins or whatever in their glorious car there? Like what? uh, I don't, I don't know. I am uncertain. Oh my God. Speaking of characters who deserved better though, besides Deb, what in the fuck was LaFonda doing with Kip? Like what the fuck? I have to attribute some, a lot of this to like the, direction you know because like i feel like every time lafonda's on screen the director is just like wink at him and do a little wave or something like that she doesn't talk (laughs) for her first like five minutes on screen and then she eventually she is stunning and seems very good natured and why is she spending she hours deserves in so chat much rooms more. every night on dial-up internet with Kip and apparently paying her own bus ticket to come visit him in Idaho. Like, I, I don't understand. Yeah. Like, I mean, all a lot of this can be attributed just to a lot of white people making the film. And also it was in 2004 and people are assholes, but it was just, yeah. It was um, certainly a lot the way that non-white characters were portrayed in this movie. Um, Yeah, I feel like there's also like a Mormon angle here, which is that like Mormon, by virtue of like having fairly extensive like proselytizing in like South and Central America, like Mormon culture at least is like has a, a sort of like passing familiarity with like Latino culture in the US and uh, at least Mormon leadership has tended to be fairly progressive on uh, immigration issues as a result, even as they've been like very socially conservative on like LGBTQ issues or other kinds of things. But then, you know, Mormon culture and black culture has essentially zero intersection um, as a result of like policies preventing black folks from holding the priesthood in Mormonism until 1978, which was very late in the game. Uh, I believe Gladys Knight is like the only person that comes to mind as like a high profile black member of the church. I'm sure that's changed and I just haven't been tuned in. Um, But yeah, so there to me, coming out of 2004, coming from the people who made this movie, knowing where they grew up and that kind of thing, a lot of the joke of LaFonda just does seem to be like, here comes this like black woman from Detroit in Southern Idaho. And isn't it funny to see her in this environment? And isn't it funny that she acts like 
our like imagined stereotype of someone who just cares about bling and dancing or something, you know? So it, like it, it, I feel like it doesn't go quite as caricaturish and, and still manages to avoid like, like some of the more overt ways the character could have been offensive, but there's still like a weird undercurrent there. Yeah. That's a good way to put it. It's like kind of, uh, uh, yeah, <laughs> trying to work up my vocabulary, you know, like they, they don't, well, look, I mean, just LaFonda's existence is kind of a joke because you're set up to think that like, this is a catfish on the internet for Kip, but then she turns up and she's stunning and like cooler than everybody else there and gives Napoleon like the means to win over his school with the dance. But then at the same time, yeah, she's kind of like a, that. that's just because like the actor portraying her is like a stunning and you know vibrant person like (laughs) you know who kind of makes a lot with the stereotype she was given there I guess yeah and I mean related to this Pedro is in my opinion by far the most interesting character and he plays second fiddle 100% to Napoleon. And I'm not saying like, I think that, you know, Napoleon is a very specific character. And you know, this is a very specific movie, like no other movie is quite like this movie. And, you know, Napoleon, no other character is quite like Napoleon. Um, And some of his quirky aspects are, are quite funny. But at the end of the day, he's annoying and not super interesting, (laughs) which is kind of the point of it. You know, he, um, yeah, this is all to say, I wish the movie had been about Pedro because he, or at least have it be more 50-50 of Napoleon and Pedro um, as just like two dudes being bros in Preston, Idaho. But um, he really is, he, it's not. (laughs) it was kind of back then though like even more so than now which like but that like your movie had to center on the the generic white dude for whatever reason you know yeah well and i mean there was probably like a loose autobiography kind of stuff going on Oh, apparently the writer-director based the character on a guy that he met on his mission. And I wonder how that person feels about this portrayal, honestly. Or if they're even aware, I don't know. And well, uh, Jared went to uh, Jared Hess went to high school in Preston, Idaho. Um, so, like, I you know, and that that's part of why I feel like God. maybe you know the follow up filmography because what did he go on to do? Um, Nacho Libre was one, maybe one other notable. Nacho Libre, <laughs> but it it had the like. It had the (laughs) randomness, but it didn't have that kind of like heart that can come from like, you know, doing something that's closer to your life experience. And I feel like the charm started to wear off when it didn't have this kind of, I don't know, like almost like memoir element to it. Sadie having a lot of realizations today. (laughs) (laughs) She brought it upon herself. This film was Sadie's choice. did. I did. He also directed Austin Land at, under a different name. <laughs> Why the different name? God. Now I'm yeah, curious he, about that. He directed most things under the name Jared Hess, and then he directed Austin Land under the name Jerusha Ness. No way, Jerusha Hess is his wife. Yeah. Oh, do they like work together oh. and maybe oh. she took 
Mm-hmm. Why why does it list it under his filmography? I think they're like a team, like the Wachowskis Weird. or something. Maybe it's like oh. um, people who do like couples Facebooks, but they do <laughs> not, like the <laughs> not like the Wachowskis. Not like the Wachowskis. Reverse Wachowskis. Opposite Wachowskis. I'm picturing the like the, the political alignment chart with the, you know, Wachowskis in one corner. <laughs> Wachowskis who took yeah. the blue pill and then but also were a married couple and mormons instead of <laughs> yeah, yeah that was not a good analogy <laughs> well what else do we have to say about young napoleon i have okay well what one more thing i will say and then we can um go ahead and rate her but why is his name it's napoleon so dynamite? random oh it's my never God. <laughs> what if your name were dynamite <laughs> they just they mentioned right, because- like oh yeah napoleon dynamite and i was like wait that's his name i had forgotten almost everything about this movie except for the side pony and it's just like never mentioned again and i'm like if i met someone on the street named napoleon dynamite i don't know what i'd do that name is just that's too powerful <laughs> Even somebody in the movie is like, your name is Napoleon? Okay. Wiki says that, quote, Napoleon Dynamite is a socially awkward 16-year-old mouth-reading <laughs> The Wikipedia <geek>. summary is very... <laughs> <laughs> oh. Damn. Who lives with his grandmother, Carlinda Dynamite, and his older brother, Kipling Ronald Kip Dynamite. So Kip is 32. I couldn't tell again about like the the what was happening with the time of this. At some point, um, Napoleon says Kip's like 32, and I didn't know if that was like literal or like he was saying, you know, like when that when um, oh uh, Dave uh, Franco says that Channing Tatum is like 40 in the <laughs> in the. Jump Street? What? Is it so a Jump Street movie? movie right now? Ju- yeah, 21 Jump Street movie. Yeah, apparently Kip is there. I, Jen, looking at the Wikipedia summary, wow. I thought that Mouth Breathing Geek was hyperlinked to its own page, but apparently it's two separate links. <laughs> one for Mouth like Breathing that. and one for Geek. Somebody needs to make <laughs> I hate when they trick me like that. Mouth Geek altogether. I hate when they do that because I'm like, oh my God, I finally found the most niche wiki article that will directly sate all of my interests. And then it's like five separate links that mean nothing. Apparently this resurfaced, um, this resurfaces every so often, but I found myself on a wiki page for um, the high five like too low too slow or something it has its own like illustration for when you like fake someone out on a high five i've seen that picture yeah the bowels of wikipedia are an interesting place and fittingly segue this movie just kind of feels like hitting the wikipedia random generator and and that's how you got a script yeah i completely forgot about that tiny segment where napoleon and pedro did the future farmers of america competition I liked that. I would have liked to see more of that. Yeah. Less of the factory farming chickens, more of the talking about whether, like, trying to determine if the cow had eaten onions based on the taste of the milk. Less raw egg drinking (laughs) overall. Movie industry-wide, we never need to see that. Well, shall we rate Young Napoleon Dynamite? Damn, Young Napoleon. I'm ready. How old was he when he did this? This is hang on, like 21, I'm 22. On John Hader's 
Well, he was born in 77, so he is John John Heder is or wait, this is his name is Hyder on the wiki. Our retroactive apologies to John Hyder. He is like almost 10 years older than Samantha, as Samantha and I are 10 years older than Sadie. So, (laughs) and so goes the circle of life. (laughs) In lieu of a five star rating, I give Napoleon Dynamite. A chip buddy. This is a food that I learned about. It is made in Britain. It is white bread with butter with french fries in the middle. It is all one color. It is all one texture. And it is kind of bland and flavorless, but kind of satisfying uh, if you just sit down and consume it. I feel like Napoleon, he might even try that over his tots so it feels like one of the foods that should be in the like how appropriate (laughs) that was an impressive selection of carpet this is my rating um damn i i will go uh, i will give it three pedro wigs out of five um, because I did, <laughs> he did look like a warrior. I, that one. And I, and I'm or rating it off of the fact that I did not know that this was in any way a Mormon movie when I watched it. I was so blissfully unaware. Um, but yeah, I mean the, the, you know, the R word, there's a lot of things about this movie that don't, um, hold up and they also were offensive at the time. Um, the betrayal of, Quite a few of the non-white characters, not great by any means. Um, but there's parts of it that are just very iconic. Un- you know, there's like the scene where he's doing the little like hand dancing and it's just like all silent basically. And they're doing the hand dancing scene. It's it's very like there's many moments of this movie that's like that could only have happened in Napoleon Dynamite. Um, and I also like the intro with the different various uh, nasty Americana foods. Um, so, yeah, that's my official rating. <laughs> but and also Pedro for president and also Pedro for Deb's heart. I I rest my case. I agree. Pedro clearly should have been Deb's choice here. And presuming that none of these people are going to leave this town for several years, if ever, I agree with Sadie that I think Pedro was the long game here, that she's going to get tired of playing tetherball with Napoleon and vote for Pedro for president of her heart. I honestly don't even know how or like that I can rate this movie. It's a movie that was created it is a movie that I saw in the Audis. It is a movie that I saw again today. It is a movie that I do not particularly wish to see again. I am truly, genuinely, from the bottom of my heart, thrilled that this movie inspired little Sadie to wear her hair in a side ponytail. And I think that she <laughs> should do that again and send us a picture of it. And the dance scene, that is iconic. That was inspiring. Like John Hyder, as Wiki says his name was pronounced, really committed. And that was that was pretty incredible. And good on you, Jamiroquai, for, you know, getting another, <laughs> getting that song as the, the big scene, the big dance scene of yet another hit film so jen what uh i I can't even with napoleon dynamite what should people do to the tater tots in our pockets that is this podcast gosh like 
don't kick our pocket tots, man. Like, no. gosh, <laughs> gosh, gosh. You got to go into it more, I guess. It's like, gosh. I feel like you need to back up the microphone. It's not like spit over. Gosh. <laughs> yeah, I think I nailed it that time. <laughs> Sadie, are you going to eat your tots? Get the fuck away from my tots. <laughs> Let's make the R-rated version of Napoleon Dynamite. Which I can't, I can't believe that it was a Mormon movie. It felt so, um, to borrow Elliot's word choice, hedonistic. (laughs) What? Okay, we have to have a bonus episode to have Elliot on the podcast to explain what the fuck is hedonistic about Napoleon Dynamite. (laughs) I agree. Pocket tots, like hedonistic, <laughs> maybe. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, what can people do to our wow. filthy hedonistic llama oh loving podcast? Pocket tots of a podcast. Um, for one thing, they can come find us on Twitter at YSSTOG and talk to us about pocket tots all they want. Please, somebody say like another reference so I can think of anything besides pocket tots. My God. Should they make us a friendship lanyard? Maybe? Yes. Yes, they should make us a friendship lanyard and visit our patreon.com slash YSSTOG if they want to help us pay to stream all of these movies non-illegally. And that gets you access to our Discord server where we have a thriving little community of literally the best people alive who Sadie will reel off a list of their names here in a moment after I tell you that you can also contact us via email at YSSTOGpodcast at gmail.com, which we do not check very often. But when we do, we are so thrilled to see that somebody has emailed us and that is delightful. And we would love that. Oh, also, if you're listening to us on any sort of platform where you can give us a star rating, please give us five stars. And Or you can just send us five star emojis on Twitter if you you listen (laughs) at a place that doesn't allow you to rate us. Yes, you can also do that. Okay. Is it Patreon time? I, this is my favorite part of the podcast. I would like to thank I, I, not Samantha or Janet, I can't. I, we would all like to thank our lovely, wonderful Patreons, Logan, Logan Mayonnaise, Andrew, Althea, Xenalon, Sharon, Justin, Evan, and Liz. We love you all so very much. Gosh. 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 Jen, give us your best gosh. Okay, let me take a deep breath. Gosh. I feel like...